Hello and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental enthusiasts, Nick and Laura. On today's episode of EPR, we give our shout-outs. Laura and I discuss the challenges of making decisions as a leader. We talk to Marie Campbell about her approach to leadership, the importance of diversity in your workplace, and her love of art. And finally, on this day in science in 1992, the space shuttle Endeavour, a $2 billion replacement for the Challenger, blasted off on its maiden voyage. How about that? Hit that music! Our shout-out today goes to Clark Environmental, a frequent sponsor of the TBAP chapter on their 30th anniversary of their company. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks also to our sponsor for today's episode, Historical Research Associates. HRA provides essential cultural resource management services that support the environmental review process, including facilitating tribal communications and conducting in-depth archaeological and historical resources review under NEPA state environmental policies, local ordinances, and importantly, Section 106 of the NHPA. Be sure to join us for the NAP Annual Conference, May 17th to 20th. It'll be virtually this year. We will be having our special Dawn Wright, the chief scientist for ESRI, Mm -hmm. who was on our podcast a few weeks ago. Be sure to check that out and then attend the conference on May 18th to hear her keynote speech. Yeah, for more details, go to NAP.org. Without further ado, let's get to our segment. Awesome. So we were talking with Marie, you know, we we mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, but one of the things that she talked about was making decisions, right? When you're a leader, you have, there's times where you need to make decisions and times where, you know, there's more of a, a gray area and you can get more input from the team. I don't know, like, what's your experience been like with that level of decision making? Yeah, I think, you know, generally... A leader is not supposed to be the person who's telling. They're supposed to be, um, you know, so you're supposed to be letting people contribute and not always giving people the solution before they have a chance to come up with the solution on their own. But a lot of times, especially when you have a deadline, people aren't contributing. Or if you have a specific vision, there are times when you need to step in. Now, of course, a lot of it depends on who's on your team and how much control you have over them. So yeah. I think in Marie's case, she's got this amazing team that's built up and they they are purposefully and have practiced working together and they know what's expected of them. I think working in committees is a completely different thing because you're yeah. not you're not hand plucking people and going right. through interviews and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And you maybe I do I feel like sometimes I want other people to contribute. I want them to give. And I, you know, but then there's other times where it's just like, this thing has to be done by Wednesday. Yeah. Hey yeah. folks, this is Let's how we're doing do it. it. Yeah, this is how we're doing <laughs> And And, and it's funny because for me, I really am. I am absolutely a collaborator. I love doing that. It is one of my favorite things is to get people involved. It's, I mean, it's, I think that's fair for both of us, right? It's what we're doing right now is getting people involved. And so that's, it's something that I had to learn I had to learn that I have two faces, right? I have the, you know, we have this moment and fun time and then I have a very serious, all right, let's do this. Like we don't have time to make jokes and, you know, just, (laughs) just my personality that scared people. Like initially I would, I would, (laughs) I didn't have any breaks between like, like, oh, isn't that great? Now get it done. You know? And so (laughs) I had to like, kind of like learn a little like, you know, okay, that is part of my personality, right? I know that I can be really, you know, a driver, but I've got to kind of calm down a little bit when I, when we are in those, those situations. Yeah. I think too, I, you know, I have, I have students who work for me and yeah. 
I have to be lenient with them and give them a lot of room to grow and to fail on their own. And a lot of times I catch myself like, Ooh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Or I would have said it different. And I really have to weigh the times when I'm going to let it ride. Like who really cares if, you know, does anybody, does this really affect my business at all or or whatever our goal is. But, you know, at the end of the day, my goal is to help them understand what my vision is so that they can make decisions that fit along with it. And most times they do, but occasionally you know, I have to go back to why didn't they do it the way I wanted to? And then maybe next time I can, you know, like <laughs> right, just right, recently right. I have two events coming up and one of them posted this, like kind of merge the details for two events into one. And oh, then no. I was like, yeah. oh, she did it wrong. But then I'm like, no, I didn't explain it didn't that explain well. It. You know, yeah, like I got to yeah. go back to my email and go, okay, next time I need to be very much more clear about this yeah. is two posts and whatever. So, and that is any time when you're especially hiring or if you're doing something with Fiverr and hiring freelance people, you know, a lot of times, a lot of leaders have this blame game, right? But it mm-hmm. always comes back to you. You have to be accountable yeah. for those things. And Yeah. And I, I think, think it's, a, it's you know, I'd say it's a testament to you that you're willing to understand that, right? I mean, I think that's really hard sometimes is to take a step back and be like, okay, why did this happen the way I didn't, you know, differently than how I expected it to? And sometimes it's communication on your end. Sometimes it's miscommunication on their end. But it's really important to take the time to do that step. And so it's really great that you have. Yeah, it's really just about expectations. I think even when you have a a committee, even if you're going to be barking orders at people because there is a deadline or whatever, I think if you set those expectations up front, people will be less offended by not having. Or, you know, because I think the worst thing you can do is have somebody share their ideas and ignore them or not do anything with them. So if you're telling people up front, like, hey, we have a deadline, I would love to have time to share ideas, but we don't. So right, this is what right. we're doing. They're going to be much more okay yeah. with that yeah. um, than if you're like, send me your ideas. Oh, no, we're going to yeah. do what I'm doing anyway. Yeah, yeah, right. Because then they'll think that these, you know, like, oh, he didn't like my ideas or she didn't like my ideas. But it's really more, we don't have time to consider them. And perfect. It's exactly right. And that's what I've had to do myself, you know, say, hey, you know, when we got these deadlines, I'm, I'm you know, my, I'm going to shift. I'm going to be a little bit more direct. I'm going to be a little bit, you know, more blunt. It has nothing to do with you. I just want to get this done and get it out the door. And so, yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. But yeah, there are definitely times where you've got to, you've got to make that clear right away. All right, well, let's get to the interview. Welcome back. Today's guest is Marie Campbell. Super, super excited to have you here, Marie. Marie is the sole owner and president of Sappos Environmental. Sappos is a successful women-owned and minority-owned environmental consulting business, and she's also immediate past president of NAEP. Marie, welcome to the show. Laura and Nick, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I'm just, I'm super excited to learn more about you today. We've been working together for a couple of years now since I started getting involved in the national level and just been so impressed with the work that you do and how you fit in being president of a company and NAEP and everything yeah. else. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your company? Well, thank you for the opportunity to do that. So I started in my career within with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, actually, as an environmental protection specialist. I love being part of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It's a very family-oriented place to start your career. And for those of you who are looking at potentially starting as a civilian or military there, that's a great place to start. And then I went to work for a private company and watched that company grow from being the 50th employee to 250 employees over a five-year period of time. And then that created the opportunity for me to start my company. I think a little bit later, we're going to talk a little bit about 
diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I mentioned starting with the Corps of Engineers because that was so important for me uh, with my family growing up in Mexico, not here. Mm. You come here and even though I went to school here, you don't have that network of people that can yeah. invite you. And so my boss graduated from UCLA and every year he invited two top graduate students to come to work at the Corps of Engineers on P appointments. And that's that was really the start. But at Sappos, we're a, um, uh, a environmental consulting firm. We do uh, work under the National Environmental Policy Act and under the California Environmental Quality Act. We have a huge team of biologists and archaeologists uh, that work for us. And we've been really blessed to work on really interesting projects that we feel are really making a difference in taking yeah. this country in the right direction. We've That's done awesome. a huge portfolio of renewable energy work, and we're currently very highly engaged with the California High-Speed Rail, which is uh, definitely uh, in the tradition of California, leading the way for the nation. <laughs> yeah. So very excited. And I, I would sure. just say that the most exciting part about being here at Sappho's is the team of people that I get to come and work with every day. And it's a true honor to be able to work with this team. That's awesome. great. So was your is your interest in the environment, was it kind of expanded on working for the Corps? Or was it something that you've had in your heart? You know, that's a great question, Nick. So I said my parents were from Mexico. Yeah. My mom is from the state originally from the state of Sinaloa, which is the western coast of Mexico. So she grew up in her younger years, spending a lot of time at the beach. And then yeah. when her family moved inland to Sonora for my grandfather to work at the big copper mine there. She got to spend a lot of time in the summer going back to the beach. So she loves the beach. And when she married my dad, my dad was a U.S. citizen that grew up in Mexico. They moved back to the States when they got married and they bought their first home under the Fair Housing Act because they were a mixed race couple uh, in Huntington Beach. And we spent a lot of time at the beach. And my mom just thought it was amazing how beautiful the beaches were here in California and free of litter. So she was our Girl Scout troop leader. And uh, on the first Earth Day, we went and our whole troop and all the other Orange County Girl Scout troops, we hit Huntington Beach State Park uh, mm -hmm. uh, hard. And we yeah. you know, just basically picked up every scrap of trash that anyone could find. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's where really my like knowledge, my awareness yeah. of how blessed we are to have this amazing place to live, but that with that blessing comes a responsibility for stewardship of the environment. And the name Sappos that we have for our company is based on a poet who's the first poet to have her work in written format, where mm -hmm. she wrote a lot about the connection between humans and the earth and the responsibilities that come with that in terms of stewardship of the environment. So that's where it began. Like my mom, like total kudos, total credit. Mm -hmm. And right. it continues today. I think as you grow up and you have your own children, and now I have three grandchildren, you really understand the importance of it's not about short-term economic yeah. gain. It's yeah. about long-term sustainability. Wow. Right. Uh, and that's a really great answer. And you know, I think tying that to going into business for yourself is an extremely daunting task, right? And so, so it's a daunting task. It's difficult. And on top of that, you want to make sure you're doing business the way that you want to do it. Like we're talking about, it's not about money. It's about doing something better for the environment. So what gave you the courage to take that challenge on? So that, that's another kind of interesting story. I uh, I would say most new people that start a business are very entrepreneurial in their nature. And, and I think I have some of that. I put myself through school at UCLA by running the catering business there. And mm. I took it from a business that lost money to a business that made a million dollars a year. Wow. Um, and I think that that's where I discovered I had the capacity 
to run a business. Mm. But my ex-husband was very entrepreneurial and he really encouraged me to start a, a business after working for another company. He was like, they're selling Marie Campbell. They're selling your ethics and your knowledge and your spirit. Why not just sell your own spirit? Now, this is the funny part about this. The way he sold me on doing it, he said, and you'll be able to be home every night for dinner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no <laughs> so that part did not play out as well as i might have liked it to my children who are you know, now adults themselves will tell you that they spent uh many evenings sleeping on the couch in my office uh <laughs> doing their homework at the conference table in my office but it really allowed us to thrive as a family and i am thankful so thankful for him to encouraging me to go down that path because i don't know that i would have had the spirit to do it on my own. And and again, that's something that's so important when we look at people who have opportunities to succeed, there's always someone behind them, supporting them and encouraging Mm -hmm. them. And I just think that that's something that each of us can do is always look for ways to, when we see someone working on something or struggling, you know, share with them that you have confidence that they're going to be able to make it and you know share your knowledge with them and and help them to think about ways that they can get through those hurdles it just you know makes life better yeah yeah that's great and i i know that a lot of the career seekers that i work with they they feel very alone you know and i think that's great advice for even people who are out there looking for jobs get connected with other people who are looking for jobs you know and or a friend who can understand that you can talk to someone that will support you through that and now Sapphos is almost 30 years. Is that right? That's correct. In uh, 2022, <laughs> we will have our 30th birthday. Um, we're really excited. We're looking forward to that milestone. And uh, it'll be a big celebration. I'm hoping that we'll be in a post-COVID situation. Of course. And we'll actually be able to celebrate <laughs> in person. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I hope Nick and I will get an invite. We can do a podcast. Oh, of course. Of course. That goes without saying. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get myself invited, I'll be, there you let's go. make that oh, happen. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, congratulations. That's awesome. And so over the 30 years, I'm sure that you have learned a lot. It sounds like you had a lot to a good launching point to start from with just being a caring person and leader to begin with. But you also have this really amazing, exemplary, diverse workforce. So how do you make that happen? I'm so glad you asked that question, Laura. I get asked that question a lot. It's interesting. I get asked a lot often about how to die was I able to advance in my career? And I think the undertone of that question is, you know, women must always have to compromise themselves to Mm -hmm. advance in their career. And so I just like to say that I never had to compromise myself to advance in my career. I was very fortunate to have good mentors. And I think I've tried to carry that stewardship into the work. We have really high and exacting standards here at Sappos. What Sappos is known for is having a perfect litigation track record. And so we ask our staff to work at a very high level of quality and people have asked us, you know, some of our larger teaming partners um, have asked us, well, how have you built this diverse workforce? And the answer is we always hire the best person for the job. And I don't mean to be trite in saying that, but we don't try to look for people that are like us. And it's mm-hmm. in most companies, the statistics will say that if you look, do a Myers-Briggs analysis of a company or any of the other types of personality type assessments, about 65 to 75% will fall into one to two personality categories. Yeah. So 
And that there's an ease to that, right? If everyone kind of looks at things the same way, you'll have an environment that's fairly conflict-free. So there is an upside to doing that, particularly in a really, really large organization. So we're not a really large organization. We're, you know, hovering around 40 to 50 employees. So we're a mid-sized firm for environmental. We have the luxury of not all having to be alike. And I mean that from the way our problem-solving skills our ethnic diversity, our countries of origin, our sexual orientation. We have a group of people here at SAPOS that I think is fairly representative of the diverse population that we have in California in all of those regards. And they literally have each been selected on two criteria. They have the technical qualifications because they've either done the work before or they show a strong aptitude to do the work. And they are willing to be part of a group of very smart people. So that may sound interesting, but you would be surprised (laughs) how many times in an interview someone will say, yeah, I'm very smart and I'm very accomplished and I'm used to being like the smartest person on the team. Hmm. It's very difficult at Sappos to be the smartest person on the team. It's a collection of very smart smart people. people. So what we're looking for is the person that says, Yes, I'm very smart and I'm very accomplished. And a lot of people think I'm a nerd. And I really like being around other really smart people that challenge me. (laughs) That's the person that's going to just rock and roll with this team. So that's what we look for. And by just holding ourselves accountable to that simple edict, we've been very successful in building a team of amazing people. That's great. And I think too, it becomes over time, you, you build a reputation for that, right? And then people come to you. When you do, yeah, that's something we haven't really. I think we've done a poor job of marketing that historically, and something that for this year for our business plan is something that we're really thinking about strategically is making sure that people understand that is something that we value. We are, I think, I shared with both of you earlier, we're really doubling down on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think it's easy for people to say, "Well, you're an environmental company, so you should just focus on environment and sustainability." I think that's that's a little bit of a cop out. I think there's all of us have a personal responsibility to commit ourselves to social equity. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to share a little bit a story about again about my mom, my amazing yeah. mom. By all means, so um, hear so more about your mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she'll be at the party, so you guys will get yes. to meet her. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So my mom, we used to have one car when I was growing up. And my mom used to drive my dad to work and she put myself and my brother into our little car seats in the car. So we dropped my dad off at work one morning and we were driving back to our apartment while we were were still waiting for our house to be built at that time. And Martin Luther King was giving his I Have a Dream speech Mm. at the the Capitol Mall. And my mom was so moved by that speech that she pulled over the car to the side of the road and turned the radio up. I still remember seeing her hand reach to the knob (laughs) and turning the knob. This is when cars still had knobs. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time, I was three years old at the time that that speech was given. And it made such an imprint on me. I can still hear his voice. I remember him saying, I have a dream. And so I really grew up with that ethic of... You know, everyone has the opportunity to make it in this country and that none of us are free until we are all free. So that's really, I think, part of why I feel like I've had this opportunity to be very successful. I've had a life 
that most people just dream of. I have two beautiful children. I have three wonderful grandchildren. I have a wonderful home. I have a wonderful partner. I've traveled all over the world. I've had this opportunity to be in leadership positions at NAAP and AAP. I have lived the life. So now what I want to do is really make sure that I'm challenging myself to create that opportunity for others and challenging my friends to create those opportunities yep. for others. And so that's that's really one of the things I wanted to talk about today is the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's awesome, Marie. Thank you for being a role model. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you for letting me be a role model. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure working with both you and Nick. You both do so much for NAAP. Yeah, well, thank you. That's it's no, really, the pleasure is ours, if I'm being yeah. totally honest. It really is. So, you know, thank you. I loved, you know, hearing you talk about that. It actually sparked a question for me. Like, I think innovation is something that some companies are really good at, right? And some aren't. But when you're talking about people coming from different aspects and different avenues, right? Has that, you know, that's, that's, that has to spur some kind of innovation or some kind of creative problem solving that you wouldn't have had otherwise. I don't know if you have a story like that or something along those lines. Yeah, that's a really good comment. And I would say that I was slow to learn that lesson, Nick. I think, you know, I came from the Corps of Engineers, which is a really structured environment. I understood the cadence of structure and the importance of structure to being able to produce a quality product. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've had to learn as I've gotten older is to have to improve my listening skills. So, and to create this opportunity. I think there are times when you're a leader where you have to be clear that I'm inviting you all to share your thoughts, but ultimately the responsibility is mine to make a decision. And I think what I've learned is I have to be clear about that at the beginning of the conversation. And then there are times when you need to be able, I need to be able to step out of my box being the leader and say, the company is only as strong as the whole of the team yes. that comprises the company. And so this is an issue that needs to be voted on. We just had two conversations last week. One where we did, you know, we we voted and we did not go my way. And you know, I'm waiting <laughs> to see, you know, how th- things are to go. I think that generally when you have the consensus of the team, when they're voting, they will force it to work right? Because they bought into that solution. And then my role becomes shifting out of my position and giving all the resources I can to support their endeavors to go down the path that they've chosen. That's That's awesome. You know, I'm laughing a little bit because Nick and I were just talking about that. Like we we both love collaboration, but there are times when you just, you have to step in. (laughs) Yeah. And make it. But you love to let people contribute. Well, you'll both be much more successful than I have been in my life because you've learned that (laughs) lesson sooner. (laughs) So I know one of the reasons that the three of us are talking together today is NAEP. So I did want to know, like, how long have you been involved with NAEP? I became an NAEP member when I was a graduate student at UCLA. So I was like way in the very front group. So one of the founders of NAP had a relationship with one of the professors at UCLA. And so we had a student chapter of NAP. And the folks that I was in that, you know, pod with a lot of us ended up going to work for the US Army Corps of Engineers because there was a relationship between the Corps and UCLA. And so I've been a member since I think the second or third year, the wow. NAAP, but I was always like a remote member. So I, I always went, I was frequently went to the conference like so many of our members do, but I wasn't really engaged in the leadership of NAAP. 
I was very engaged in California Association of Environmental Professionals in a, in a leadership role. And when NAP had some struggles a few years ago, they wanted me to come in because of the financial background I had of running my company. Mm-hmm. And they were hoping to bring people in that could kind of look um, at some innovative solutions for NAP. That's when we launched the webinar series as, as mm-hmm. an opportunity to reaching more people. This podcast series that you all are doing is, I think, such an important continuation of that idea of like, let's invite people. Again, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Step yes. number one is invite everyone to participate yes. in the the way that they can, you know, and then the equity issue is like, make sure that there's no barriers, you know, to their participation. And then inclusion is if you're at the conference, don't just talk to all the people that you know, yes. look for people that you don't know and ask them their story, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. has an amazing story to tell. And that is truly when we invite everyone to be, you know, truly included in our organization. So I always tell people when we have these events, whether it's a webinar or a workshop or the conference, try to meet as many people as possible and don't just meet them, get their email, get their phone number and call them when you're working on something unusual or just call them just to check in. It just will enrich your life and it'll enrich your practice. Yep. It's a little bit like having an alumni network, right? Like you can call up yeah. any other NAAP member and just say, hey, I'm an NAAP member too. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, I think it's amazing. You've been involved with NAAP for its entirety almost. Like how yeah. have you seen it change over the years? I think that there are so many positive strides that are happening in NAAP. I think it was founded by a group of people truly dedicated to the profession who I think had the vision to see how important the environmental professions would be, you know, bringing this parity between economic considerations and engineering and technical considerations and bringing the environment um, up to that same level of consideration. And And you look at the fellows within NAAP and the amazing careers that each of the fellows have, you know, most recently, John Irving, Irving and, and Ron Deverman joining that team of fellows and Bruce Hasbrook as well. It's just, these are people that have molded this profession. So many of them came not from an environmental background, but many of them came from a crossover background, right? So they were doing work in social demography, or they were doing work in wetland science, or they were doing work in environmental litigation, and they've crossed over you know, into the environmental professions. I think what we're seeing now is we have so many people that are coming into the profession that have been trained specifically to do you know, environmental work. And I think at the time I was in college, that was just starting, that there were these environmental degrees. I actually have an environmental degree. And now we have people that have very specialized environmental degrees. So I think now what we're seeing is that environmental is coming into the mainstream and NEP is also making those adjustments to not just cater to people that are in the more senior portion of their career, but really to invite and treat people that are entering the career or considering entering the career into the profession. And I think that's a huge you know, step in a positive direction. I think our relationship with the Council on Environmental Quality and supporting the rulemaking and policymaking that goes on there is another you know, key change that has evolved over the last 10 to 12 years, which strengthens NAP's benefits that they're able to provide to the membership because we are 
really tracking the pulse of environmental regulation and rulemaking in this country. And we're I can't imagine a better source for people to get information than being connected to NAP and getting that connection to information that we feed out through our working groups. And that the working groups themselves, that opportunity to participate with a group of other people that do what you do yeah. and, you know, talk about what a regulation means and get that input, you know, as it's hitting the street, just phenomenal, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Marie, whenever I need some motivation or some just solid advice, I'm just going to give you a call. Okay. I feel like that's what we decided <laughs> on this. Uh, that, that's what it's all about, Nick. I would be so yeah. honored if you did that. All right. Well, I mean, okay. We heard it. It's on the recording now. She's <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. It's, it's so great. And, you know, I think you talk about like, you know, including. And one of the ways that we like to do that on the show is to share really amusing or funny stories. And we've got something here from you about a slide in public involvement. What, what happened there? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I, she said it's family oriented. So I'm going to be very careful about what I say. So <laughs> when I was at the Corps of Engineers, before we were on the federal side, really doing mitigation monitoring, or before California had a requirement for doing mitigation monitoring, we had recognized that we were putting these mitigation measures onto projects and we started coming up with these matrices to make sure that our district engineer was just committed that if we told the public that we're going to take it, do a mitigation measure, he wanted to make sure that we could document that we did what we said we were going to do, which was amazing, amazing yeah. to work for someone who was in that mindset. So we came up with these just very simple Excel spreadsheets, basically, for tracking these mitigation measures. And as California, the legislature was contemplating making mitigation monitoring and reporting a requirement in California, the California APA asked if I could come up and speak at their state conference. And I didn't realize that this was going to be like one of the joint sessions. So I had my little PowerPoint presentation and my suit and I was all super excited. And I walked in and there were like 500 people. Oh my God. <laughs> slides are up. And, you know, this was like, you know, back in the day. So I, the slides are on a huge screen behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my, the, my laptop or I guess it was a computer. I turn behind me and I realized it says Marie Campbell. Expert in pubic involvement. (laughs) Okay, I can see how that could happen because it is spelled correctly. It's Mm -hmm. just not the right word. One letter. (laughs) When autocorrect fails, yeah. And I think I remembered saying something like trite, like, well, I think it's widely recognized that I have extensive public involvement experience, (laughs) but you'd have to ask my my husband about the pubic involvement. Good oh, that's great. Tried to get oh. people to like get on to the next slide. Of course, of course. So, yeah, let's talk about mitigation monitoring now. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's great. I think that's a great story too for young people. Like things are going to happen. Just roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just we've you, all been it's there. Not, it's not. It's just never worth getting upset or angry. <laughs> yeah, you just have to understand that we've all we've all had these experiences. In fact, we were talking about that at dinner last night that I just watched this really, really sad movie recently about a man who lost his son to cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, we walk around every day and we we have no idea the the burdens that people have had in their personal life. And I think that that's like so such an amazing part of the human condition. Like we, you know, it's easy to envy, you know, someone else's life or what they have. 
And really what we need to do is really focus on what we have. You know, I, for me, I think every morning about my children have, are healthy and my yeah. grandchildren are healthy. That alone is a bigger blessing than some people ever get um, yeah. in their lives. So I think focusing on what's positive in our lives is so critically important and being empathetic to the fact that not everyone's as fortunate as we are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um, speaking of and sort of related to that, like I love to travel. I love to see people living different lives. And I think it really going to other countries, especially third world countries and other less developed countries and even other first world countries and seeing the yeah. luxuries that they might not have. Like I lived in Ireland for a year and they don't have comfortable beds. <laughs> they don't have the linen through th- what are they? 3000 million thread count that we have, whatever yeah, like, right, right, that right. we're used to. Um, we are privileged here in the United States, most of us, many of us. And I think that I, I think travel is so important. And I know that you travel a lot and a lot of our listeners travel a lot. It's kind of one of those connected things with environmental professionals. So you may have too many to say, where have you been? But maybe where do you love to go the most? What's your favorite? Oh, that's really tough. So the place I've been the most is Mexico, because as when I was growing up, I spent all my summers because my family's from Mexico. My mom's from a really small town of 8,000 people. I think there's mm. 23,000 people now. They have an Ace Hardware store now, which is like, uh, <laughs> you know, that is like the best thing that's happened. So I spent my summers there growing up and I traveled to other parts of Mexico. So that's the place I've spent the most time traveling. And obviously I have a huge love for the country because it's, you know, my country of origin. I'm half, mm-hmm. half Mexican and half French. I've also traveled extensively, traveled five times to France. So that's probably mm-hmm. the second place that I've been, the second most traveled place that I've been. But every country that I've traveled to and every place I've traveled to in the United States as well, um, when I was with the Corps of Engineers, I traveled to a lot of Native American reservations because we did a lot of work for others. Every place I've gone, I've met amazing people. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to say that I have a favorite place to go because every place I've been, I've just had such an amazing, amazing experience. I will say that Italy, one of the things that just enchants me about Italy is just the joy of life. Yeah. Like you just, yeah. when you go into a restaurant, there's, it's normally big families, right? It's not yeah. just two people. It's seven, eight, 10, 11 people. <laughs> Maybe not so much right now. Maybe they've had to right. pull that back <laughs> a little bit, but hopefully they'll be back there soon. I think that commitment to family, it's infectious. The joyousness of like the food and the, you know, the way they dress and the fact that they, you know, it's a big deal to go out and be with your friends and family. I think there's a lot for us to learn from that, to be able to stay focused on that. I was supposed to be in Australia, New Zealand last year. So that's the next place, the next foreign travel. I'm just waiting to look at like when we don't, when there's not a 30 day quarantine period, because yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can take two months off, no. <laughs> to go. but that's the next spot. And a, a, a mentor of mine that I had when I was at the Corps of Engineers, she and her husband will be potentially traveling at the same time. And I'm hoping that we can connect while we're there together. Oh, that'd be great. Very cool. Yeah. So France, you picked up a hobby in France. I did indeed. So I was sharing with Laura that I have an unusual collection and I collect paintings and sketches of nudes or figures. And the reason I collect them is I did a lot of painting when I was younger and I'm a fairly accomplished like landscape painter. Painting the human body 
or sketching the human body and capturing the sheer essence of what an amazing machine mm -hmm. the human body is, yeah. is an incredibly difficult thing to do. <laughs> and it's yeah. fascinating to me that some people, like I have some drawings in my collection where there's literally only maybe 11 lines and yet wow. they so capture yeah. the human figure. And then I have like my a recent acquisition, a friend of mine is a painter. The paint, she uses a very heavy paint technique and she it's a woman sitting. And I just, every morning when I'm walking out and I see that woman sitting, there's just a calmness that she's captured in this woman's repose that's just amazing. Mm. So yeah, I think that painting the human figure is just technically a really challenging thing to do. It's something I don't even aspire to do. I don't think <laughs> I ever. So I, I like to collect the amazing work that others do. And I understand, Laura, that you're dabbling in photography now. Well, actually, I've been a photographer since I was 14. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of a pro, I guess. I teach other people. Oh, awesome. Wow, so um, <laughs> I teach rock photography to other people. I have published a journal on photography lessons, but it's not technical. It's about learning to see. So it's all about composition. But I have a friend who does nude photography and I've been teaching him remotely for years. Like he wanted oh, to get well, you'll have to connect us. I yeah, critique yeah. his photos. He sends them to me and sometimes I'll do some edits for him and say, this is what you could do to make it better next time. And he's just like, you know, I'm sort of his mentor, I guess, for for that. And oh. Yeah, there's the podcast. podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agre agreeing. <laughs> yes, he's into it too. And then one thing I wanted to ask you about, you wrote in your bio, when you were not busy conserving the environment, you enjoy cooking, wine tasting, gardening, cycling, counterbalancing the effects of that food and wine. Um, <laughs> I just love that. But, you know, can you leave us with some thoughts on, and like you've said, you've had this great life. Can you share some advice for others just about how to achieve that type of work-life balance and you know, living life and balancing work and kids and everything else. Well, that's the struggle, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think we learn from our parents. There's so my my mom was a tennis player. My mom went back to school when I was in high school. She went back to college because she didn't have a college degree, and she was on the tennis team. And so she used to take my brother and I out. And we'd play the double side of the court, and she'd play the single side of the court, <laughs> and against the two of us. And she would just drive us into the ground. It was embarrassing. <laughs> like one time she asked yeah. if we wanted to bring our friends. We were like, no. We don't need to have our friends see our five foot one, 90 pound mother drive us into the ground with a tennis racket. So, <laughs> um, so awesome. <laughs> so I think from that, there's, you know, I've always enjoyed being outdoors. And I think for me, that time when I'm on the bike, I was on the Peloton this morning before I, I came in. The quality of our lives is it starts from the quality of our health. I don't think the how you do it is so important. It's just I think all of us deserve to give ourselves the right to take care of ourselves yeah. and to carve out that time to do that. And I think as a parent, it's important to do that because you model that for your children mm -hmm. that you know it's not shouldn't always be about sacrifice that we have to take responsibility for the quality of our, our own lives. So yeah, so I've tried to make that a priority. I tried to make sure that I have half an hour to an hour at the beginning of every day. I have two huge dogs. I have a German shepherd and a Malinois. Oh. We try to walk them five miles a day. So that's, a, oh, wow. that's another thing that gets me out, just getting, yeah. those, you know, knocking off the steps and, and getting that, that time in. And then I do love cooking. So I don't diet. <laughs> 
Um, and that's why <laughs> you'll see me sometimes I look bigger and sometimes I look smaller. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I have a French grandmother and, you know, a Mexican grandmother who are no longer oh, with, yeah. with me, but mm-hmm. I literally grew up standing on a chair next to them cooking, you know, yeah. from the time I was three years old, probably. And so I, for me, you know, my friends say I have like a, this little cooking jacket that a friend of mine gave me and it's got embroidered on it. You can taste the love. And I do think mm, that's yeah. true. I feel oh, like every awesome. time I'm cooking, because I have so little free time, if I'm taking the time to cook for something, I'm giving you my love. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I can give you my time, which 100%. is the most precious thing I have. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I do love to cook. My significant other has the most amazing palate for wine and the most, he can remember every wine he's ever had. Oh, wow. he can, oh, if he wow. tastes a wine, if he's had it before, he can tell you the year, the wow. wine. It's phenomenal. I'll never be there. I just, I can yeah. tell you I like it or I don't right, like it. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I can sometimes oh. manage, you know, like there's notes of cassis, but. <laughs> so oh, it's, it's a perfect pairing, right? So I cook, yeah. he chooses the wine. We yeah, love entertaining fantastic. our friends. And then we get on our bikes and knock out some miles so that we can do it all again the next week. That's great. And I definitely encourage people to do that. And, and I think, you know, like you said, for me, I'm a big family person. I'm from two families that are very all about family. I think that's a really personal choice. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people sometimes to have children. I think it's. I think people should be entitled to make those choices. I have lots of friends who have no children, and I think mm-hmm. there's an amazing opportunity just to be with a partner and really focus your life on your partner and your extended family. For me, having children was amazing. I have two beautiful daughters. They are the light of my life. And then they've you know brought me three grandchildren who I just relish every moment. That for me, COVID-19, the hardest part about COVID-19 is not having as much time with my grandchildren. That has yeah, been I've the most painful for a lot of grandmothers. Yep. Yeah, I am one of those persons who early on decided not to have kids, but I am in love with my aunt status. <laughs> yeah, I think that's phenomenal. I make a wonderful aunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and it's easier to be a wonderful aunt when you're not taking care of your own children. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, it's all very well said. And thank you so much for being here with us. Just before we let you go, are there any other projects or upcoming events you'd like to mention? We're doing quite a bit of work for Southern California Gas and LA County Department of Parks and Recreation. We've worked on over 200 parks projects. That's something a lot of people don't know about our company. We really kind of started with a lot of the parks work. And I think I would be remiss in not just thanking both of them. They both, the work that we've done with both of those clients has really helped us um, to build the firm. And the parks department was one of our first clients. So they've been a client for 30 years. That's just amazing to me that they've continued to use our services over that long a period of time. And for the company, I think what you'll see us going in direction, we've done a lot of renewable energy work over the past. We've um, entitled, I think, something like 2,000 megawatts of renewable energy. And that's going to be a focus for us. We're really building our sustainability team here at Sapphos. We're doing a lot of work for writing sustainability elements. And we're really trying to take those elements kind of beyond where they've been and really make them quantitative, really help cities you know, measure what they're doing kind of going back to that original sort of mitigation monitoring work that I had done early in my career to really achieve the objectives that they want to achieve as a city or a county. So I think that's what you'll see from Sappos over the next year is getting us a little bit going beyond starting NEPA and CEQA work and really started to pursue a lot more sustainability work. Awesome. 
Well, we'll be looking forward to helping you celebrate your 30th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we, and we continue, you know, as we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have a number of open positions. So, you know, people mm-hmm. that are interested in being a you know, part of a firm, we'd love to hear from them because that is definitely a focus for us as we continue to grow the company. Despite COVID-19, we, the company has been in a growth mode and will continue to be in a growth mode in 2021. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. You heard that, people. If you're career-seeking, get in touch. <laughs> They're all posted yeah. on our that website and on LinkedIn yeah. and on Indeed <laughs> and on the NAEP website. So yeah, take a look. Yeah. And you know she's great because this interview is amazing. So I know, you right? You've, you've got plenty of things to connect on here. So <laughs> right. this is what we're all about, setting you up for that connection. There you go. Um, Marie, this was so awesome. You are so delightful to talk to. And I just look forward to more conversations with you in the future and working together on NAEP. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, you, Nick and Laura. It's been a delight to be with you both. That's our show. Thank you so much to Marie for joining today. We had such a fun time with her. It was just a, such a great episode. It was awesome. We laughed a lot. Yeah, yeah. This has to be one of the funnier ones we've done, for sure. Also, we want to give another shout out to Historical Research Associates, HRA, for sponsoring the episode. HRA provides essential cultural resource management services that support the environmental review process, including facilitating tribal communications and conducting in-depth archaeological and historic resources reviews under NEPA, state environmental policies, local ordinances, and importantly, Section 106 of the NHPA. Please be sure to check us out next Friday and every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.